Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Seasons of the Witch on this uh, beautiful, hot, sunny day where we're broadcasting from Springfield, Massachusetts. This is Stephanie Taylor Gramasi, and I am here with, of course, well-known and respected author Raven Gramasi. Hello there. And uh, tonight we are very um, happy and excited to talk about the tradition that Raven and I practice which is called Ash, Birch, and Willow. Excuse me. It is an initiatory tradition that Raven and I have uh, created, and and, uh, we started with the creation of it, the the idea of it back in 2004, and then it it slowly was forming, and then by 2006 we really kind of had it more cohesive and, and looking at it more. Now, before we get into talking about Ash, Birch, and Willow, uh, I just wanted to make a couple of announcements, um, so to speak. Uh, one is that um, this is always, I figure, shameless promotion. Uh, we are going to be doing, or actually I should say, I will be accompanying Raven tomorrow evening, uh, Thursday, uh, to the Robin's Nest in Bellingham, Massachusetts, where Raven will be presenting his new workshop, uh, Community communicating with the body, and um, maybe you just want to take us a little something about that workshop. Yeah, it's a, um, a couple of techniques I developed uh, last year when I was uh, battling with some um, health issues, and it culminated in this communication between mind, body, and spirit, and uh, so I put together a workshop that I'm going to try that basically uses the idea that the mind, body, and spirit are are all separate entities. They're all separate uh, sentient beings. And they support and um, uphold each other. The idea is to realize that the body is actually a sentient being that communicates with us and is listening and communicating and responding. Its primary goal is it actually wants to please consciousness um, of the persona and the um, spirit or soul. So we'll be doing that tomorrow, testing it out, and I'm, I'm really excited about seeing how, uh, how this works with uh, other people because, I, as I said, I've been using it last year, so uh, tomorrow night, yeah, should be exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and feel free to uh, call the Robin's Nest. There's still space available, and um, we Robin's hope... Robin's Nest in where? The Robin's Nest in Bellingham, Mass. Bellingham, Mass. There we go. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me again. 
Uh, also, um, I am having a uh, fantastical sale on Ravensloft. I'm going to be launching that again tomorrow um, because I have re-envisioned the, the uh, store a little bit as an online store. I'm, I'm really trying to whittle it down to more of the uh, primary and, and vital things that really support the teachings that Raven and I present and our, our spiritual nexus on things. Um, so if uh, you're inclined to want to pick up a few goodies at about 80% off, uh, feel free to check in on ravensloft.biz tomorrow, and uh, there will be some great bargains there. So um, with that being said, uh, let's uh, launch into talking about Ash, Bush, and Willow. Ash, Bush, and Willow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might be helpful to start off talking about where things come from in general. You know, because I, I see on the internet people, you know, have different views of of what's new, what's old, what's authentic, what's not. And I think that the important um, essence of this all is that whatever it was in ancient times that communicated with our ancestors or whatever it was within them that somehow envisioned things like magic, uh, witchcraft, you know, mystical things, other worlds. Where did that come from back in the days when they were developing these ideas that we still continue to work with today? Now, some people, you know, will look at a system today and say, oh, someone made that up. What does that mean? Does that mean they made it up just based upon nothing? Or does it mean that they interfaced with pre-existing ideas and concepts and then through that uh, put together something that worked for them um, you know, these are the things that I think are, are important to understand. So whatever the process was in days of old, whether it was spirits communicating to humans, you know, whatever it might have been, that process, there's no reason to think that that process ever stopped. So today when people sit down and they assemble, is the word I would use, uh, their own tradition, um, are they making it up in the sense that it's total invention? I don't think so. Um, I don't think you can ever really get away from the roots. If your heart and spirit is within your mysticism, within your magic, within your, your witchcraft, within your Wicca, whatever it might be, that's, that's coming from something that pre-exists you. It's in your blood somehow. It's in the process somehow. So that's the way that I look at it, and um, I, I believe that that's where Ashbirch and Willow came from as well. And we're going to talk about that through the show, the, uh, how this all started and how it developed and what we felt led by and what the tenets are. And, uh, but the basic thing I want to get out of the way so that we're all on the same page is to understand not only what a tradition is, but what a tradition is not. Now, I know that some people feel that a tradition limits the individual, that it dictates its dogmatic um, you know, controls, and that's not a healthy tradition. I think they think that because it has structure, and that's right. And they yeah. right, and because they've had bad experiences with structure, they mm-hmm. think that all structure is bad. Right. But the idea is that a true tradition, in my opinion, should uplift the individual, should teach them ways of self-gnosis, that inner knowing, and that's what we do in Ashbridge and Willow. We provide the keys through the teachings and training 
that people communicate with plant spirits. They're actually taught by planet spirits, by other world entities, by deities directly through the techniques. So they actually become self, they self-learn as the tradition um, bestows these different keys and doorways so that they can enter in. So it's not about them serving the tradition. It's about the tradition serving them to liberate them, to, to help them become less reliant upon the human teachers of Ashpersonwilla and more reliant upon personal gnosis, what they're directly receiving from the spirits, from the entities, wherever that is coming from and came from that our ancestors tied into. Um, that's what Ashburton Willow is all about. It's not about controlling people or you know, being burying people in dogma or anything like that. The teachings are there for people to turn around and look at and enhance their own understanding. So those remain as a, a body of knowledge of those who came before them and that's their experience that the new people can then look back upon and, and see if that fits and supports them. So that's, that's why we have the teachings and the training to begin with, not to tie someone to the tradition, but to have something nourishing for them to tap into on their personal journey through the tradition. Well, would you, would you say that um, it, is a, it is first and foremost a spiritual journey guided by the religious part, which I believe is the incorporation of the rituals, the alignment, right. the magical techniques um, that lead them forward in their own personal, like you said, uh, gnosis, that their mm-hmm. discovery of self. And, and each person is having their individual journey. What they are discovering, what they, what the feedback is that they get from these entities, from the Greenwood from the divine is specifically for them because they are the ones that are tapping in to that current through their own right. energy stream. So it is, it is, although there is a commonality and a, and a feeling that we, that we, that we share, mm-hmm. it's still a very personal exploration and journey. Right. So we don't call ourselves an organization. We call ourselves a fellowship of kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're individuals that come together in, through a kindredness, and that's the tradition. It's, uh, it's really individuals um, that make up Ashburton Willow. But Ashburton Willow does have a core. It does have a um, set teachings, and those teachings grow and expand. In fact, as initiates have experience with personal gnosis, they feed that back to us, and then we incorporate that back into the tradition um, where it matches and fits. Um, where, where it doesn't, we still study it and look at it. Um, so we, we don't reject anything, but we're looking for things that do fit and continue on with the, what we call the current or stream of Ashburton Willow. Well, and interestingly enough, many of the um, initiates and the students, even the students are in the course who are working some of the, um, uh, the alignment um, and, of course, the training aspects of the initiate is that there that there is a validation through their experiences right, yeah. mm-hmm. that this is sentient that this is a true current that is being fed and um, that is that is really what happens to any kind of system that is worked enough yes right yeah yeah we get we get confirmation all the time from 
especially new people who are working with us, they'll come back and share a, a dream that they had or a meditation that they had in the woods. And it's just so spot on with the things that they didn't know were already there within the uh, tradition because they haven't received all the teachings yet. So to us, it's always very confirming and, and exciting to see that this current is flowing from from these origins of these ideas of plant spirits and mystical journeys. And um, so it's really exciting. And the tradition's growing. And, and we're happy to be here as facilitators of that process. How, however, the prime directive is not to have numbers of initiates. Right. That, that has never been our intention nope. to um, have, you know, hundreds of people be in ash, birch, and willow. Uh, it, it, it calls to people. It's just like right. the old ways. Um, you really are called to this path. It, it resonates within you, and um, I think that's how people find it, you know. Right, and, um, you know, we're, we are a little bit more discerning now um, with uh, initiating people because we've had some, some, some yeah, we've had some experiences. Um, and, see, originally, the, the idea originally for Ash, Perch, and Willow was to open up inner teachings and initiate-level training that was not normally available to people outside of a tradition. And as an author, I would get letters from people that were always very disappointed because wherever they lived, they didn't have a, a shop to go to where they had classes or there were no teachers in their area. And, and I began to feel that that really wasn't fair and that a lot of these things were being kept because they were considered to be initiates only or inner teachings that were only available you know, this way and that way. And I thought, you know, there ought to be something where people could come in and, and get closer to these things that they'll probably never find in, you know, their little towns or, you know, that type of thing. So we opened it up and we did initiate people a little bit more freely um, now looking back at it than we, than we probably should have. And it wasn't fair to them and certainly wasn't fair to us. So we've learned and grown. So now we... we uh, you know, with people coming through the tradition and, and, and leaving or being, you know, absolutely whatever the case may have been, we, we've certainly learned to to refine um, the process of, uh, of initiation and training. Yeah. I, I think, too, that um, one of the things that's happened for us is that, we said in uh, one of the other shows, was Raven and I are old world. Uh, we are considered by many people as, you know, stick in the mud, which is because we hold to a vision very strongly. I mean, it's not that we're immovable. It's that we really know what this, we know the value of what it is we have to offer. And I think with us knowing that, that we really didn't fully consider or acknowledge that the people who were coming to this really did not understand how we viewed or how we defined mm. an initiatory tradition. Um, we took it for granted. Well, you know, anybody who wants to be initiated must already know what that means. That, you know, they, if they want to be initiated, they know their, you know, they know all the parameters. Well, that was one of the, you know, the, the hiccups that we right. ran into, I believe. And, well, that and, and not really looking at generational differences. Well, that's exactly. And, right. that, and that leads me to the next comment, mm. which is, Again, I think that people confuse the idea of having 
an initiatory experience versus being in an initiatory tradition right. or system. Um, because uh, if you're an initiate of Ashbrook and Willow, there is nothing stopping you, even as an initiate, to go to a retreat for a weekend or to go to a festival and participate in an initiatory experience, which mm -hmm. means that you do a guided journey or you're in a sweat lodge or you, you know, any kind of working uh, experience that, that takes you to another level of consciousness that expands you, um, we do not get in the way of that. That mm -hmm. is not our purpose. That is not our dictate, nor have we ever uh, felt that way about it. So I think there was a little confusion about that as well, that the system versus an, an independent experience. Right. And people are, you know, our initiative is certainly free to study the works of other people. We do ourselves, yeah, for God's uh, sake. Of other authors, you know, read their books, go to their workshops. Of course. Um, you know, that, that, that's just normal. I mean, that's the way any healthy tradition should be. It shouldn't, it shouldn't keep you only, you know, in the, in the arms of the tradition. Um, so, but, if you're not, but if you're in an initiatory system right. and you're not doing the work of that initiatory system, you will not garner the results that it can bring to you right. with that particular focus. And that, that is the difference between being in the system and being more eclectic where you're, you know, you're um, having all kinds of different experiences in all kinds of modalities and also cultural currents. Um, yes, they expand you, um, but they don't really anchor you in, in anything particular. And as I said before, I do believe on an individual basis that it depends on what the seeker is looking for ultimately. Right. What is that that they what is that fine tuning that they, they want? And and again it's also I think a generational expression as well. What you're looking for in your thirties, you're not gonna be really looking for in your forties and fifties and then into the sixties. I think it changes with every decade mm -hmm. as you grow through those times. Right. What's um, important to you. Yeah. What your understanding is does change decades by decades. Right. What I kinda of look at, you know, something you were touching on earlier is, you know, think of a tradition as, you know, um, tradition is your primary connection. Just like if you're in a relationship with a person, you're married, you're engaged, you're you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, you know, that's in most cases, not all, but in most cases, that's a primary relationship. And then you form agreements upon, you know, what that means. And does that exclude other people? Does it include other people? Whatever it may be. But experts in Willow, we say, you know, make this your primary focus. This is your path. And then you can include any other thing outside of it that you want, but just be centered in your path. You know, by analogy, it's like if you decided you wanted to be a basket maker, so you went and you trained under, uh, you know, you went to train under a, a master basket maker. <laughs> but you, you spent all your time going to finger painting classes and yoga, mountain climbing, you know, goat herding. And these are all the things you were studying. And then you go complain to your basket master. Hey, I'm not getting anywhere with these baskets. You know, I can't make a basket. I thought I was going to learn to make baskets. And it's like, well, yeah, you would if you made that your primary focus. You'd have a basket by now. 
But, you know, now your fingers are all covered with paint and the goats are in your backyard and, you know, that's where all your time is going. So, you know, just figure out what you want, you know. If you don't want this, then move on, you know. But uh, when you when you decide you want, when you find your path or you feel called to it, just like falling in love with somebody, it draws you to them. That, that should be your primary focus. Um, at least, you know, that's, that's the way we look at it. Yeah. Um, so moving along. Um, we, we always, Raven and I both think that definitions, you know, having clarity about where we're coming from is always very important so that, you know, we are communicating the best we can about the paradigm that we're expressing. Right. So I um, want to talk a little bit about where this all came from. And I think to start I was thinking about this earlier. We we have a little outline sitting here in front of us, but we're gonna we're gonna jump around just a little bit, a little bit and yeah. jump around a little bit because now when I was thinking about this earlier, we um, when Stephanie and I were together in the beginning, we were practicing the straighter path, the Italian witchcraft path, and um, eventually we, for a variety of reasons, decided to step down from that um, but we had uh, we were living on a ranch at the time and we started growing mandrakes and the mandrakes are really difficult to uh, to grow and to maintain they're very temperamental plants but we've been growing them for about 17 years now and I think looking back as as Asperger and Willow developed um, after this process as Asperger and Willow developed we found that the mandrake was the primary spirit teacher um, that we were introduced to. And I think that that really was the roots of our Asperger and Willow connection. I wouldn't have thought that before. I would just have included it as one of the many spirits. But now that I think of how long we were growing those guys and caring for them and learning about their yeah. cycle and their ways, we gave as much to them, probably more, than what they gave to us. And we formed a very deep relationship before we made it formal. Right. Uh, you know, through the teaching. Through the teachings of it, right, um, right. So, they were really important. Yeah. yeah. So and I, they are the sorcerer's roots. Yeah, the sorcerer's roots. So I do think that that's probably what, what drew us into the Greenwood realm long before we ever really knew. Um, <laughs> well, that and the land we lived on was yeah. that, you know, that was an amazing property that we had there. It was, um, it had so many microcosms and they each had their own energy about them. And, of course, they were worked ritually as well as magically. Um, many, uh, we had lots of um, rituals there. We did mm-hmm. initiations there. We had gatherings there. Right, yeah, the, the land became sacred and magical <clears throat> by absorbing, you know, everything we were doing. But the, um, I want to just touch back quickly on the mandrakes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the mandrake itself, you know, um, has a lot of myth and legend behind it, and one of the things that we find when we look at the mandrakes is that they were called either the plant that wanted to be human or the plant that became human. Um, they, they, the roots look very human-like, um, not always, but often. And our ancestors noticed this imagery in the roots. And so it looked like that plant was trying to be a human or was very close to human. So they felt a rapport or a connection because of the imagery that this plant's root was human-like. So what we found is that they really become the ambassadors to the plant realm or the greenwood realm if they're the first spirit you work with. 
Um, they're predisposed to work with humans, and the idea being that because they took the shape of that there must be some affinity. That was a sort of an old idea that I touched upon. So I think our personal history with the mandrakes is really what led us into what became uh, the Asperger's the Part, tradition. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll touch upon spirit work uh, a little bit later. I, so. I, I have a 17-year-old mandrake familiar that is amazing. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't, when we um, reel on sacred nights, um, typically it would, been, it would have been Beltane. However, uh, my mandrake still was in leaf, so... I didn't do this ritual, but more often than not, it's really always on um, a Gadrian or, or a Shadow Fest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these, all these things. Um, but um, what we do is, you don't, you don't, um, you have to be very careful. Like Raymond said, they're very finicky and they're 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 very um, fragile. Believe it or not, the feeder roots in particular. So when you are going to transplant them into a new pot, or you want to uh, give them a boost with some new soil, you unearth them, which um, means that you loosen the dirt. I, what I do is I take a big butcher knife and I go around the inside edge of the big pot to loosen that dirt up so that it's not stuck onto the side. And then I just kind of um, push in around the, uh, if it's a plastic pot, she's in a plastic pot right now, um, I'm going to uh, push in to loosen up that dirt. And then what I'll do is I'll take one of those big, uh, here on the East Coast, they have the leaf bags, which are these huge bags when you're doing your fall cleanup or whatever. And I cut it open, I lay it out, and then I tip the pot over gently, and then I start kind of shaking it and drawing back on it so that as I'm shaking it and drawing back on it, the loosened dirt is starting to come out of it and so is the root with, with very, very little disturbance of the root in that, you know, as it's been growing in there. So um, I am going to, she just now is uh, lost all of her leaves. So on this next full moon, I believe I will be unearthing her. And I will take a picture of her and uh, show you all how she looks now. Because, oh, be awesome. yeah, it, it's amazing. Yeah, these are Truly amazing plant. So that was the first plant that we connected with, and uh, that plant introduced us to an entity, which we'll talk about a little later in the show. Um, for now, I want to touch on our the symbol of the Ashburton Willow tradition and why we chose uh, Ashburton Willow as the symbol of the tradition. Yeah. Um, so there is a legend that the traditional witch's broom was made of Ashburton Willow that the um, the handle of the broom was made of ash. Okay, now ash is the birthing tree. A lot of uh, old legends say that the gods made humans from ash, that trees. That, that shows up in northern and southern Europe, interestingly enough. So ash became the birthing tree for the the idea of the tradition. So the pole or the stick of the broom is ash. The sweep of the broom is birch. Now, birch has always been associated with the dead, a tree of the dead, and ancestors and otherworldliness. So this becomes the sweep on the end of the broom. And then the birch is tied to the ash with strips of willow. And willow has traditionally been connected with the witchcraft deities such as Hecate. 
So we look at the willow as the bonds of devotion and the oaths we take that tie us to the ways. So the ash, the willow straps the birch tree of otherworldliness to the handle of the uh, uh, the broom itself, the ash. So ash, birch, and willow become the broom upon which witches ride. It's what propels us, uplifts us, and carries us to the heights we seek. So that's why our symbol for the tradition is ash, birch, and willow, and you can find that symbol um, on the internet and Facebook. I, I posted it here and there. I'll post it again tomorrow, and you can see our logo. But the logo also um, shows not only the broom, but the antlers of the old god and the full moon being embraced by those antlers um, and deities that we call he of the deep wooded places, embracing the antlers, embrace the moon, which is she of the white round. So the, this is the uh, symbolism of uh, Ashford's mom. Yes, I, I, lo- I love that. And um, everybody always asks us, where can I get a broom made of ash, birch, and willow? And um, I think you can order one if you find a, a very good broom maker. Um, and you can also make one. We had uh, a couple of our initiates made us a broom. They did a, I think they did a little workshop on that. And so we actually do. It's very rustic and it's it's very witchy, and uh, it's a real treasure. Um, so we are coming up on the uh, half hour for the show, and I wanted to say that um, we have had some uh, particularly wonderful response from our pagan musicians, and they have granted us, several of them have granted us permission to be using their music on our uh, show. So tonight we are going to be um, listening to a song by Dam the Bard, and um, he, he is a fantastic musician out of England. And the first song that we're going to listen to tonight will be Pagan Ways. So uh, here we go on that. And when we come back, we'll pick up talking about Ashbridge and Rose. Hang in there.
within a tale Another sleeps now Ready to return All right All right Damn the bard Damn the bard No, damn the bard <laughs> Great song Um so we're back with Seasons of the Witch, and you are listening to Raven and Stephanie Galanti chat about their tradition, Ash, Birch, and Willow. So we're going to pick up uh, right where we left off. We just got done uh, talking about um, the broom and the three trees, so now we'd like to talk a little bit more about um, our the, connection. Our connection, yes. So when we look um, at old witchcraft themes, uh, what you find is this connection of uh, witches with herbs, and magical plants. And these plants still show up in myth and legend, um, the so-called baneful plants, which we'll talk about later. But the idea here is I want to go back to the earliest words that we have in Western culture for witch. And this you'll see the, the connection back to the greenwood and these plants and, and the things that are poured at Ashford and Willow. So among the earliest word is actually a Greek word, and it was um, two. Pharmakis was a female witch, and Pharmatree, I believe it was Pharmatree, was the male version. But when you use those words back in the day, they were really more herbalists. They were really just people that had special knowledge of, of herbs, medicines, and um, things of that nature. The chemical, of course, they didn't know there were chemicals in plants, they thought plant spirits cause the effects of plants. We'll talk about that later as well. So, but when you bring in the magical element, or I think really even the spiritual element, these words pharmacus and pharmacy actually move into another word, which is pharmacute. Pharmacute is the blend of the witch as both one knowledge from the plants, but also one that perceives the spirit of the plant and the magical properties. So that's why we use pharmacute. And a lot of people don't know, you know, the meaning of that particular word, and they sort of go back to pharmacus or pharmacy, thinking, you know, that we use the wrong word. But in my research, um, you know, I've, I've found that actually this is the evolution from pharmacus uh, into pharmacute. Although it's a masculine term, in uh, ancient Greek, we're not using it uh, to express gender. Yeah, yeah. So what we find is that these ancient witches believed, as all ancient people did, that there must be something in the plant. They didn't know about chemicals until later. So the original thoughts were, if you ate a plant or smoked it or whatever, and you had some experience, they thought that the spirit of the plant had entered into you, that you were temporarily possessed by the spirit being that lived within the plant. And this extended later to even the making of wine. Intoxication from wine, like in the cult of Dionysus, was considered that you had drawn the spirit of Dionysus into your body by drinking the wine. And they even had a term in days of old that you were dancing with Dionysus. And that would be the stumbling walk that people have when they're drunk and dancing and uh, that type of thing. So again, it was all the idea that you had, um, let's say, invoked the spirit into you. And that's where Ashburton Willow began to form around this idea of connecting with the greenwood 
as our ancestors did and inviting the spirits within us um, to have that interface and to have that connection with them, returning back to honoring the spirit of the land. That was the spiritual, some might say religious, um, you know, uh, catalyst that drew us deeper into what became Ashford's Mumala. So then we found what happened was interesting. The Mandrake Spirit began to lead us into connecting with another entity. And that entity we came later to call She of the Thorn-Blooded Rose. And the idea came to us that the Spirit wanted a connection or covenant in order to open up this plant realm that we later found she's so the guardian of at the gates to the greenwood and the gates to um, the organic memory of the earth, which we call shadow, and I'll explain that later. But what happened was we were drawn to this idea of pricking our thumb with a thorn and dropping three drops of blood into a little shot glass and then pouring that on the base of, of a rose bush uh, where, the, where the roots are below the surface, and then taking a shot glass of liquid chlorophyll, which is the green blood of the plant, and sipping that in exchange. So it became a blood covenant, almost like the idea of blood brothers you know, that we see sometimes on TV where the palms are cut on each hand and people uh, press their palms against each other and exchange blood. Um, that was an old uh, blood brother, uh, popular among uh, some of the American Indian tribes. So the idea is we exchange the red blood with the green blood, and we draw a covenant between us and plant kind. And what I found out later in my research is that plant DNA is closest to human DNA. It's just a few things that are that are off, and so we actually are very close to being plants ourselves. Uh, when you look at the, uh, when you compare the DNA, so I thought that, that was really interesting. And we would sit um, outside of our house on the porch in the early days of forming Asperger's and Willow, and across from us was a wooded ravine that we uh, would sit and sip our coffee and talk in the early mornings. And Stephanie noticed one day, well, she talked about that when you noticed the Right, I was noticing a shimmering in the air. I think we talked about this before, too, but I, I had never seen it so viable and vibrant of, yeah, in my own vision that I was looking out and I could just see it raining down, this, this um, I, don't know, I don't even know what to call it. it it was a white like shimmer. A vapor or something yeah, yeah, a vapor. Shimmering. I almost thought it was like misting. Yeah. It was so it was so evident. And um, that would it almost created an altered state of consciousness mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you'd be looking at it and you would be it would be like you would, you know, squint your eyes to look at it better and then you'd open them a little bit and you keep you keep looking at it and, and fixating on it so that you, were, you, you want to make sure you weren't tricking yourself that you were actually seeing it, but right. no, I, I continued to see it, right. but I never, I never saw that in California, not even on the land that I worked. Um, I've only noticed it since we had come back here to Massachusetts. 
and uh, only have only seen it around the greenwood. Right, and um, it was interesting because we began understanding the pattern of what was happening, and the trees were communicating early in the morning. That was sort of that vaporous thing. They were communicating through that vapor. And then I learned later in my research that plants actually do emit, emit from their leaves chemicals. And the chemicals actually, trees talk to each other, communicate things to each other uh, from what's carried on the breeze to the next tree from the leaves. They also communicate through their roots. But that came later. So when we began to understand that the plants communicate by releasing chemicals from the leaves and they communicate through the roots, we'd already done the blood covenant with the roots. Of the rose. Of the rose. So we were like, hmm. And then the trees began to communicate. And we realized they were transmitting in the morning. And then in the evening, when the sun was going down, the greenwood shifted to a different type of consciousness. And we found later on that at that phase they were having us reflect upon what they had talked about in the mornings and during the day. So it was a contemplative time, transmitted in the morning and contemplative. It was really time. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I began to just jot everything down that came into my head in a notebook. And a lot of it didn't make sense in the beginning, but when we looked back mm-hmm. months later, we saw the patterns and the teachings that were coming through. And those notes became the first... Um, yeah, teaching the formulation yeah, of Asperger's mm-hmm. and Willow that we were able to. Uh, it just kind of flowed. Yeah, it, it, was, it was it was really awesome, and having been already decades into the craft myself, and the occult, the, and the occult, you know, I think that I was predisposed to to be receptive and yeah. to understand what was coming on. But more importantly, I think my past decades of experience helped me assemble this. Mm. and understand where it went and mm-hmm. how it connected. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's I, perfect. Yeah, and I felt really honored by that, that, that I had come to a place finally where um, what our ancestors uh, lived and breathed daily was now being sort of delivered, you know, from the dingle itself. It was a, so, like, if you ever hear anybody say that this is a fake-ass tradition, <laughs> um, it's not a fake-ass tradition. <laughs> Uh, it was communicated, yes, and it was formulated, yes. Well, but you know, it has it has a sentientness to it that has shown itself over and over again, and it's viable and and deep. Well, you know where she's coming from. You know, we there are there are naysayers, you know, in everything. I mean, you can say good morning to somebody and they'll go, "What makes you the expert on mornings?" You know. Um, so not to distract from the goodness of all yeah. this, by the way. So yeah, there are naysayers, and, and and they're all about taking things away from people. But they take them away from Alexander. They take them away yeah, from gardeners. Yeah, they take them away from everybody. Whatever it might be, but their their goal basically is to undermine and to take away things, and and not to uplift people, but to drag them down. And it's all very negative. And, and the Greenwood is so cleansing of that. Yes, it know, is. Which is awesome. You know, the, even on the mundane level, we know that. You know, basically trees clean the air and they release oxygen and whatnot back into it. So staying in the Greenwood message, you know, we, we even though we get annoyed from time to time when, you know, people want to take a pot shot, we, we, we know that um, we're with the Greenwood spirit and the Greenwood spirit's trying to communicate back to humankind to teach them how to return 
to that time when humans lived in common cause with nature. Mm-hmm. That's the goal of Ashbrook and Willow, is to restore that relationship. When we honored the spirit of the land, when we honored the, the greenwood, um, and so the, the, that, that's where we're going. Well, and, and my question would be to anyone who would take a walk in nature in any place in the world, how do you feel when you're imbued in that resonance of nature? Is it not peace, perfect peace profound? Is that not at any given moment where you feel that you are one with everything around you, that is perfect peace profound. And that is really the goal of living in, for me, living in this dimension as I advance towards renewal, is that I want to have the peace. I want to have the, um, what was it? It's eluding me, the um, calming effect of that. Right, the centeredness. Yeah. They, they, actually, there are uh, some studies that are showing something interesting about people's experience in the forest. There, there's a, a biologist named Rupert Sheldrake, a very clinical writing. It's a little dry, but if you ever get a chance to read some of Rupert Sheldrake's uh, work, one thing that he discovered is that the forest, collectively, um, is at a certain resonance. resonance. Um, there's a vibration. When we as humans enter let's say for a picnic or a weekend camping, um, our activities and our noise, um, you know, and our energetics changes a little bit the vibration there. So the trees actually um, emanate or emit a chemical from their leaves, which is tranquilizing. And it makes us feel calmer and rested and cleared, and we come away very refreshed from the forest, and we think it's just because we, you know, didn't work for, you know, a week and we went on vacation, but actually what it is, is the forest is saying to us, your resonance is disturbing the (laughs) resonance of the forest. You need to be one with this whole energetic field, and so we're going to bring you into that field and align you with the natural energy here, and it takes us a while to settle into that. But we really become aligned and and, uh, resonate, interface with that energy. And that's what makes us feel so good about being in the woods. It's it's part chemical, but it's also part spiritual. And uh, so, you know, I I mean, it's funny to think that the (laughs) the trees are drugging us, you know, when we come in stomping around in the woods. But they are bringing us in through a chemical balance uh, back in line with what our ancestors knew and felt on a daily basis. And working in common cause with nature. Right. Yeah. Healing. So the forest began to talk with us. And this is where Ashworth and Willow teachings um, grew and, and, and originated from this exchange between the green plant world and the human world as we began to work with them. One one thing that hit me one day, and it was interesting, I mean, you, you have to look at it metaphorically, but once you, once you play with this idea, it's never, I've never been able to get it out of my head again. We were sitting there one time looking at the, the dingle, the wooded area across from our house, and I noticed that the leaves were falling because it was the fall season. And I looked at the little nubs where the leaves had fallen from, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, yeah, you know, in the spring, 
those become buds again, and then the leaves grow back from that, like they're rebirth. And then I started thinking, well, wow, if the leaves are communicating by emitting chemicals, communicating with the trees and with us and all this type of thing, then it's like they're little people. These leaves are the people of the trees, and they talk to each other, they talk to other trees. And when they die, they fall. So I was watching these leaves falling, and I thought, okay, the leaf people are dying, but they're going to be reborn in the spring in the new buds. So I began referring to them as the leaf people. And um, it's, it's a, an idea now that's hard to get out of my head because I see a leaf, whether it's growing, you know, full and green or falling from the tree, I'm tied into the idea that these are the leaf people that communicate. And just to give you a quick idea of Rupert Sheldrake's studies, found that if, for example, a tree in, in the grove is having a, a beetle infestation, it's eating the leaves or it's attacking the bark, that chemical will emit through its leaves a chemical that alerts the other trees. They absorb it on the breeze and, and into their leaves. And he showed that these trees will actually thicken their leaves and their bark against the attack, the coming attack of the, of the beetles. So that's communication, and it's coming through the leaves, and I also later found out through the roots. But the trees talk to each other through these vapors, through this uh, emitting, and this is a biological um, thing that uh, science is beginning to catch up with, and so we're seeing that. So it's not so crazy to think of the leaf people, um, but again, metaphorically, but it is really interesting, and it changes your relationship with trees when you begin to see them as living beings and, and communities. Well, I think we were also thinking about the idea that the, the leaves were the bones of the trees that were, you know, falling off too, that being a... The well, leaves, they gathered on the, on the streets yeah, and, and yeah. the lawns that looked like a graveyard of leaf people. And then also, you know, this consciousness of the green wood is nothing new no. because you can see throughout history the depiction of of um, the greenwood realm being made into humanoid forms and um, you know depicted in, in in statuary and all kinds of drawings and you know literature and everything and and really that that goes way back to our ancestral roots where they felt that communication with the greenwood that it was all important to their survival even because plants were also part of their um, everyday life of, of being able to eat berries to, as we went on to become agrarian, to plant plants for food and nourishment. I mean, this is, you know, this, this is an obvious uh, part of our human experience and working in common cause to provide safe sanctuary and to nurture and take care of it as stewards of nature is such a very important, um, you know, part of who we are. Now, when we say that, you know, we're working in common cause and using a phrase like perfect, peace, profound, this doesn't mean that we're going to let our brains fall out of our heads like that, you know, we're going to sit, you know, out in the forest and um, just, you know... And levitate. Yeah, and, and, and levitate or meditate all the time. No, what this is bringing to your life or what, what, what the endeavor, the aspiration is to bring that 
perfect peace profound to your life so that you are fully participating in a conscious awareness of the choices that you are making so that your life is exactly the way you want it to be. And for me, perfect, perfect peace profound. Sounds awesome. So um, <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to clarify that too. You know, this isn't about reaching nirvana where you're, you're in a blissful state and nothing else matters. No, you have to participate in this dimension. And as we move in more into the 21st century, it is becoming even a more important that we have these times where we can connect um, with that kind of energy and feel like we have some downtime and that we're nurturing ourselves and that there's, there's an ability to, um, you know, step back into a quieter moment. Well, there's a spirituality that, that grows in, in, in that concept. There was a meditation I did once with the Greenwood, and it was really interesting because the Greenwood said to me in this meditation, why is it that your kind, humans, prophesy your own doom? And I was like, you know, what do you mean? And they said, well, all of your, your movies and your books and stories are all about your destruction, the end of the world, coming from meteors, from pollution, from tidal waves. You know, all your stories today are about your doom and gloom destruction. When did you leave? the ancestral view of you being harmonious part of the world in which you live. And then it said to me, look at your city streets, sidewalks, you know, your technology. If you look, there will be a crack somewhere in a street or in a sidewalk or somewhere, and in that crack will be something green, a weed, a flower, you know, some plant will be coming up Mm -hmm. in the midst of what you laid down as humans. And, and thought would last forever, um, don't you see that it is the Greenwood, that you are part of nature and part of the Greenwood and that all of your attempts to separate yourself <laughs> from us, you know, in the end is pointless. And if you want to destroy yourselves, you know, you can certainly work harder at doing that. But why not turn back and become one with the spirit of the land and return to ancestral knowledge and wisdom, why don't you embrace the fact that on this planet, which you were born upon, everything is about birth, life, death, and renewal. So stop ending that sentence with death and return back to renewal, which is what your ancestors understood about the existence here in this realm of birth, life, death, and renewal. Become part of that again. So that's the spirituality that rises when you begin to work closely with the Greenwood, and that's that's part of the ABW message as well. Yes, and and with that, I have three words to say before we take the next break, Mm -hmm. and that is, we are Groot. (laughs) So, um, with that being said, uh, our uh, our next song, uh, and our new addition to the show is by High Priestess, and um, she is a beautiful harpist, if that's the right word for it. I hope, I hope it is. I hope I didn't mess that up. I think that's what it is. Yes. And this song that uh, we're going to play right now, it is titled Desiree. And I was told that Desiree is the name of her harp. 
So let's have a listen to High Priestess on Desiree, and we will be back shortly. Stay tuned. Just beautiful. That was just beautiful. Um, you you can find um, these musicians, uh, Damn the Bard and High Priestess, on uh, iTunes and um, other. You know, I'm sure you can find them on Pandora as well. So uh, we encourage you to support them uh, because they are supporting us, and we are just so thrilled that uh, we have had uh, Kellyana 
we have Jenna Green, we have High Priestess, Dan the Bard, and um, I was also told that uh, Spiral Dance from Australia is giving us the okay to also use their music, which is very exciting. So we'll have uh, quite a quite a uh, list of uh, things to choose from coming up. Um, now, I wanted to say, too, that uh, a lot of what we're talking about tonight is, uh, well, is, is in Raven's book, uh, The Grimoire of the Thorn-Blooded Witch. So this is just a little taste of, of what you will find in there as well. And um, we also just launched the uh, reopen for registration for our Ash, Birch, and Willow course of study, which you can find uh, the registration for that or to register for that on Ravensloft, again, ravensloft.biz, under the uh, category of courses on the navigation bar. And um, if it's of any interest to you, the course would give you even a greater understanding of the foundations of uh, the tradition. And, um, and it's also uh, required for the, anyone who wants to actually uh, look into becoming a member or initiate of Ash, and Willow, right. we do require that they take that course simply because it puts us all on the same page. Right. People come in aware of, you know, the entire thing, so I think that that's wise. Yeah, and as Raven said, too, we've, we've um, just like any anything that through the test of time, we've had to um, morph it and tweak it a little bit. So there is a, um, a I hate to use this word, uh, a stricter or a uh, more in-depth, I think is a better word mm-hmm. to say, a more in-depth um, interviewing process right. of anyone who would, after the course, consider wanting initiation to be sure that we're a good fit. Right. That That's it. It's, it's just we want to be sure that this, this would really be something somebody would be interested in pursuing as you know, path. I, yeah, as their path, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I don't like to use this word, but I'm going to, as a lifetime path, because um, I, I think that when you find something that works that um, and, and gives you a good anchor, a good foundation to which view from, view the crystal from, that um, it, never, it never goes out of style or it never becomes um, boring or, you know, outdated, so to speak. So uh, let's get back to um, what we were talking about earlier. Okay. Well, I think it's probably a good place to jump in. We talked about the greenwood and and a little bit about spirits. We'll talk about them uh, more in depth later in the show. But I think uh, I have a little note here in my uh, list. The deities come forward. And that was interesting. And I think this is tied into the idea that when we were getting communication from the plant spirit, it was really more what I might call universal. It was all about sort of ancestral ideas, not mine or, you know, Stephanie's, but, but everybody's, just the ancestors of our human kind. But I realized that there was nothing cultural coming through these communications. As I was making notes and receiving what I believe to be teachings, um, it didn't come from a culture. In other words, it didn't have a Celtic flavor, it didn't have an Italian flavor, you know, Greek or German or, you know, anything. It's, it's just kind of the raw stuff of, of nature. And that was important to to me because my witchcraft was moving away from the traditions I had been in previously. And I'd been in some, I'd been in a British, a Pictish, Gaelic, you know, Strega, you know, that type of thing. 
So I, I found that this idea of being a witch versus being a Celtic witch, Italian witch, Germanic witch, but just being a witch of the spirit of the land was very liberating. And so as these teachings came, we were introduced to the deity forms that we connect with. And they had no names in the beginning, and that was really interesting. We, we just sort of was communicated to us that the God was of this land, was on the earth, and that he was called he of the deep wooded places, and that divinity walked in the woods as it would have been known to our ancestors who were woodland. Um, you know, they lived in the woods. I mean, that was the, the beginning. We were forest people. So the idea of this, this powerful stag image, he of the deep wooded places being the god walking the land. And then the idea also came to us that there's a celestial consciousness, which is the goddess above the wholeness looking down from the celestial realm onto the finite earth. And she, uh, the goddess came to be known to us as she of the white brown, just looking at that white brown full moon above, shining light down. And when the imagery came to us one night, we saw the branches of a tree, you know, and they look very much like the antlers of a stag. And you could see the full moon behind those branches. And it was like the sea of the deep places had reached up and embraced of the white brown and then we realize wow in that moment of the full moon the celestial goddess joins with the terrestrial god and the the heavens and earth if you will are joined together on that night for a witch in the moonlight and so that was very powerful for us and we began just using those terms and we found that that bled into everything that happened we when we began to form the festivals, the eight sabbats, um, we didn't want to use cultural names because that just wasn't what was coming from the Greenwood. We didn't want to use Salon and Ostara and you know, all, all the names. We wanted to use something older, pre-existing those labels, just like not having a name for a deity, but having a title. Well, and they also had all of those names, uh, even in Italian. They all had specific energy attachments sure. to them. So. Right, because when you, when you say Salon, for example, there's a lot of imagery that comes into your head because you already know things about Salon and you know it's Celtic. And so you get that imagery, but every culture is just a glimpse of the season and how they see it and how they tie to it. When you remove the cultural imprint on it, you just get the stuff of the earth that's happening and not through the eyes of an Italian or Celtic or... Germanic witch, you know? so that's where yeah. calling the goddess she of the white round and the god he of the deep wooded places we don't limit them to a name for example if if i call upon the goddess diana what i've just done is i've told feminine divinity how i see it and perceive it images symbols you know i've limited i've narrowed it down for my convenience and so that feminine conscious goes okay i'll i'll be diana for you but i've limited her to Diana and everything that Diana reigns. Um, so when I say she is the white round, the goddess then tells me about her rather than me telling her about her, if that makes any sense. So we, we actually renamed the seasons. Uh, for example, that which most people call Samhain, we call Gadrian. 
which is an old English word meaning to gather. We chose that because it was the last harvest in many cultures, but it's also the gathering of the dead, spirits of the dead. So we went to an older term about what is happening in nature at that time, the gathering. So that's why we chose gathering, and it frees us from any single cultural expression. We did the same thing with Beltane, because again, that's a cultural expression. We called it Meadway, the way of the meadow, because at that time, these are the maypoles and the dances and the gathering of flowers and this type of thing. So it's the meadow, ways of the meadow, the old folk ways. Um, so we chose, uh, we chose that. Then in the uh, winter rites, we have um, hearth fire because people in the winter drew close to their hearts and warmed themselves during the winter. So we have uh, all these different words that we use because it, it frees us from the cultural confinement and lets nature and lets nature speak to us directly mm-hmm. about the season. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that that's one of the things in Ashford and Willow that you'll find and it, it confuses people at first when they come in because they're so tied to the modern uh, names on the pagan wheel of the year that they they try to say, oh, so that's Samhain, where we know that's Gadrian. It's different, you know. It's the same season of the year, but it's not, not limited to any particular Right, culture. not the same resonance. Though. So no one's excluded, which I like. Right. Everybody from any nationality can feel at home within the spirit of the land um, celebration of these uh, different sabbats or festivals. So then what came next was the fairies appeared, which was very interesting. Now, in our system, we look at the fairies as very, very ancient beings. We don't, we don't uh, personify them as sort of the uh, cute you know, flower, flower fairies sitting there in the woods. These are ancient beings that exist us. And um, they actually appeared to me one night, not having any knowledge of them, a pre-knowledge of them. There was a particular night in which I had gotten myself into a, a sticky situation occult-wise, and it was pitch black, and things were forming that um, were challenging to deal with. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, I saw on the ground um, light emanating beneath the soil, and it sort of swirled and opened like a well of light. Now, that I had been somewhat familiar with because I did some fairy training under R.J. Stewart, and he works with a well of light and other things about subterranean connections with fairies and, and that type of thing. So I, I sort of intuitively, you know, connected with that concept. But out of the well stepped a number of these beings, and one of them held a lantern in his hand with a bright shining star inside, and that light got brighter and brighter and actually dispelled the gathering gloom of this darkness, which was ink-like, like black ink in the air. And it actually dispelled that. And I watched this process, and then the being turned to me and said, we are the Lantra, bearers of the star lantern. And I was like, wow. And these beings have come to us um, throughout our, our training and assembly of the Ashburton Willow tradition, but they're very elusive. They're, it takes a lot of work to communicate with them and to feel you're connecting with them, but they're around 
but they sort of look at us as um, almost like, I hate to say the word, prove yourself to them or be worthy to them, but it's more like they're saying, if we're going to spend our time communicating with you. Make it worth our while. Make it worthy. Yeah. yeah. Make, make it sacred. Right. Um, make it sacred. You know, we're, we're not here yeah. to entertain you or to go, oh, wow, look, there's fairies. Yeah. Um, that if you call upon them, there's a need. Uh, communication um, and, and so they're a little trickier to work with and plant spirits seem very willing to work with you at any time uh, for any reason but uh, the Lantra uh, definitely want it to be well, they were, sacred and worthy and they, yeah and, and interestingly enough that um, when initiates start to work with them which is um, further on in the training um, they find that you know, as Raven was just saying, connecting with the plant spirits or even connecting with Shia, the thorn brother, Rose, and with Mandrake is easier. It's, a, it's an easier um, interfacing. Um, so I believe that, <clears throat> excuse me, initiates go, you know, go on in the training thinking that it's going to be the same way with Lantra, but it never is. Right. Never is. <laughs> okay. I want to talk a little bit about the star Lantern because we developed um, Stephanie and I develop what we call uh, knowledge lectures, which is the, the teachings we feel we're receiving when we assemble and integrate them into something cohesive, we give them to the initiates and they're called knowledge lectures. And it takes some research, thought, and meditation to create these documents. So I was working on the Star Lantern one, trying to better understand it, because I want to fully understand things before I pass them on. And I want to experience them myself before I teach them. I think that that's this makes sense. So before initiates receive these, I take my almost 50 years of adult experience um, with these arts and I discern through that background and then find the teachings to be connective and, and um, authentic. So the Star Lantern interested me because we, we know that the Earth itself and, and us as material beings uh, you know, are made from stuff that came from the stars. Um, so we are made of starlight, if you think about it, metaphorically, but also physically there's you know, the materials that, that construct us are, are of the Earth's stardust. Uh, so the lantern is interesting to me because when they hold the lantern and it shines their light, I tend to think it also connects with the starlight of the planet and the starlight of our bodies, so that that lantern burns brighter when the other world beings and the material world beings come into that moment of sacredness and connection. It empowers the light to grow even stronger because it's assembling starlight both otherworldly and materially into this lantern. And that lantern is about dispelling the darkness. There are anti-forces, and we know this through, you know, cult organizations. There are anti-forces that don't want enlightenment, that don't want spiritual resonance. Um, they come from a place where they're more comfortable in what I would call chaos. Chaos meaning the Greek idea of separateness. You know, the Greek idea of creation was that Nothing could be created and the universe was in chaos because the four elements weren't working together. They were each doing their own thing separately, self-aware, self-expressive, but none of them would work with each other. They didn't fall into harmony and unity. 
they, they didn't comprise anything. They were just doing their own thing. And the Greeks tell us that into that appeared divinity, the fifth element. And it drew the four elements together into common cause, into a purpose. And that purpose became creation by these building blocks of creation, earth, air, fire, and water. So this is the idea, I think, too, of that lantern. That lantern pulls in the harmony. And that's really what a tradition is. The tradition is that harmonic stage of sacredness where all of these things are working together for the greater good and for common cause. But when you have a system, and it wouldn't even be a system, when you have individuals who just are all about self-awareness and self-elevation, self-focus, they tend to be sort of like um, the four elements in disarray. They're just doing their own thing, not contributing to the, to the, the greater scheme of the universe, let's say. The idea of a master creation or an idea of something beyond ourselves and are greater than ourselves that we can attach ourselves to. So it gets into this whole teaching of light for me. Why did we come as souls into physical reality? Why are we here? Are we here just to experience and elevate the self and and just become consumed in our own lives? Or are we part of this community of souls and part of the common cause of creation itself? Are we part of the scheme of the universe, galaxies working together together? planetary systems, the seasons of the earth. This I call these things systems, or I would even call it a tradition, like the tradition of the earth is the four seasons, and it repeats those, and it repeats them in the same order. None of the seasons fall out of order. None of the seasons decide not to be a season anymore because they, they don't like the tradition of the four seasons. Um, <laughs> and they don't like what's going you know, on there. And what yeah. would happen if they did? Yeah. Um, and to me, it's also kind of like cancer in the body. You know, cells who are individuals decide not to work in common cause anymore with the body. Um, They just go off and they do their own thing, and so there's no harmony. And when the harmony falls apart, then disease uh, takes over the body. So there is something to be said, I think, um, for looking at a greater vision of why we're here and what we do. And I think these, these traditional ways, these teachings, these things our ancestors knew... They help empower us, and they help empower us as selves. So we don't lose self, but we enhance self by having something greater to look at as a model. I, I think there's something in that. Absolutely, and, and I, I think, I personally don't think, think that when you start in, interacting with the Greenwood, that it allows you to not think outside of yourself. Right. It, it that is the essence of it, you know, that it is bigger than just you. And what kind of footprint are you going to leave behind that? I mean, these are, you know, these are the things that I just recently asked you again, why am I here? <laughs> um, because, you know, Advancing Towards Renewal is a very interesting process. When you have crossed that um, mid- midpoint, which I believe that uh, um, age is, Say at 40, you're you're uh, you know halfway through your middle age. Middle age, right? 
<clears throat> well, I'm beyond, way beyond that. So I am thinking more of that. I am thinking more of, of the footprint that I'm going to be leaving behind and what will it add to the world that I will no longer be a part of as Stephanie. Um, that the greenwood, as Raven said, the, the tenacity and the vitality of the greenwood will continue to exist no matter what, and it shows you that. Right. It shows you its birth, its life, its death, and its renewal mm-hmm. every year. Right. And that's its message to us, and, and talking about why we're here is, is part of that, to, to go through those cycles and to learn from them. Absolutely. You know, to later on when we are no longer have to return into the physical life, that happens because we learned all the lessons that material existence can teach us. And then we're ready to become just the spiritual beings that we really and truly are. But we have to learn and train in the challenges and, and the pleasures of life. We, we learn a great well, deal from that. I think you said earlier, too, which I think is, is really an important um, thought to, to think about, something that's thought-provoking, and that is that we are nature. We are groups. We are nature. We, we are part of nature. We are not separate from it. We have, as Raven said earlier, we have separated ourselves from it, but we are actually it. We are still made up of all of the same things that yeah. everything outside of us is made up of, including the earth, the earth itself, the trees, the animals, the plants, the birds, the everything. Um, we share a resonance with them and we are a different, what a, um, I, I don't know the scientific terms for it, but I'm just going to say this. We are made up different molecules in that. Our, our formation is different, and we have a consciousness, but we are still nature. And so being a part of that, getting back to that, is right. what I think so many are pe- people are feeling a need to do that because everything else has, has gotten so crazy. We went, you know, we went into the industrial revolution, and now we're into this electronic revolution. And I was just speaking with somebody the other day, thinking, "Oh my God, look at where it's at now. Where is it going to be in another 20 years? That is frightening. I may not be here in another 20 years, but looking at what the world may become in that 20 years, due." to this technological advancements that are being made and where the generations that are behind us are putting their energies and their their resources and their um, existence. It's scary. I, I, I worry about that, leaving my son behind in that kind of world and our granddaughter, you know. Well, but the, you know, the, the spiritual battle continues, and I, I do believe that systems like Ashbrook and Willow can contribute greatly to shifting the consciousness back to being in common cause again with the land, and things fall into place when that resonance grows stronger and stronger. Reminds me of a teacher of mine told me that when Christianity came, um, when the one God came to displace the many, that the old gods went to sleep in stone, meaning the old temples and uh, sacred boulders and standing stones, waiting for a time when people would return back to that resonance. And that's happening, you know, it started to happen in the 50s. We saw people 
um, turning away from the uh, uh, the Christian uh, uh, religions and regaining, uh, I'm sorry, re, um, recovering the pagan ways. And festivals began, you know, people were drawn to witchcraft and astrology and all these different things. So the old gods woke up again in the stone. And that's what's happening now. We make them stronger and stronger by mm-hmm. having festivals and and teachings and things uh, they remember the old ones remember the sound of our songs and the tapping of our feet and dance and the sound of our drums and they they just get stronger and stronger and that's that's sort of what's happening now i wanted to share just uh touching upon what you were saying earlier about our connection mm-hmm. we we can't get away from being connected to the to the land even though our souls is who we really are they are within bodies, and that's the reason for that. It's a reason to be connected here in, in the material plane. It's not a fluke. But one time I did a meditation and to the forest, and I asked the forest, because it's very ancient. I figured it knew a lot more than I. And so I asked the forest, I said, what happens when we die, we humans? And immediately this answer came back, and they said, oh, it's very simple. This is the forest speaking. When you die... We breathe you in, hold you for a moment, and then breathe you back into life. And it was so powerful and simplistic to think about that idea that being connected to the earth, our death process is certainly connected to the land as well. And yes, we are recycled back in. And I remembered then these old tales, very ancient myths and legends in which Souls of the dead await rebirth in the tree, or souls are born from the hollow of a tree. These are very, very old stories. So they're kind of memories of an ancestral view or knowledge, that there's something to be said for the vast forests of the earth and the cycles of our souls. And then we get into the grain mysteries and the agricultural mysteries, because we are tied to the land. And we teach those in Asperger's and Willow, the... the uh, the Greenwood Mysteries, and, and they're very empowering in our journey. Well, with that little uh, ending of that sentence, I'm going to segue us then into the next um, song at this uh, half-hour mark, of the second half of the show, and we are going to listen to Damn the Bard again, and it just so happens that this selection is entitled Greenwood Grow. Oh, so let's, yeah, that yes, let's have a listen to Down the Bard and Greenwood Grove, and we will be right back for the last half hour of Seasons of the Witch. Stay tuned.
the oak with strength is standing, the holly on his chariot riding. Come follow me, come dance with me, come with me to the greenwood groves of magic there to see the lord of the wild with his fairy kin, deep within the greenwood grove, we'll dance the magic ring. Talk about. 
hopefully we can get to it all. Um, it's quite a bit to say about Ash, Birch, and Willow, but we're looking at the chat room, and um, we have Michael, who's talked about a little bit about the Italian tradition. Um, these are his roots back to his ancestors um, from the Italian land, and uh, he's talking about how drawn he is to that, and, and I, I completely relate to that. Um, the Italian craft has been a very long and, and deep involvement for me, and I still honor my ancestors. I still have a what we call a Lari shrine. We um, yeah, where we we venerate our ancestors of our own personal lineage. Um, so we never we never jettison those, and I think it is important um, to have that ancestral connection, which is of your particular blood. Um, so I'm not by saying you know universal and non-cultural. I'm not suggesting that we all jettison those connections because our ancestors are with us. They're in our blood. They're in the living river blood that flows through us and they, they, they guide us and empower us and encourage us. So they are very, very important um, to, to have that connection. Um, but what I am saying is that in addition to that centeredness, um, to then expand outward, like throwing a pebble into a pond, expand those rings outward and also join with the greater rings that surround that center of our ancestors so that we reach forward and embrace the totality of life and awareness and consciousness on this planet and therefore extending that into the universe. You know, that is one thing that leads to another. So always embracing your ancestors is powerful and I, and I do encourage that. Yes, and, and part of the uh, altar of ABW is we do have a skull on the altar that right. represents our ancestors, and we always are, they're always a part of that um, ritual activation right. of always the altar. In. Right, right. right. But the Italian, to me, I, I love that system. Um, it, it, uh, it's very heartfelt to me still. It's yeah. not, like Raven says, I didn't jettison that. However, my main focus of my practice is now ABW, but we have a you know we have an altar to Diana. Um, uh, we still our main statue in our yard is one of Diana, and I still on the full, full moon will go out there and, and sing the song of remembrance to her. Right. And um, it's uh, it's it's uh, hard to get that Italian out of your blood. <laughs> And believe it, I don't have any Italian blood in me, by the way. Not that I know of in this lifetime. And you, and to practice the Italian, you did not have to have Italian blood or have right. a, Italian ancestry. And, and many people um, shy away from it because they thought that they that, that had to be right, something they had to. Yeah, somewhere. I heard that all the time. Too. I know. Oh, I, I'm really interested in it, but I'm not Italian, so I can't practice. Yeah. We always say no. Most of our initiates weren't Italian. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, we we did a ritual of initiation in which we adopted people in to the Italian stream, our current of energy, by using um, fava beans, which are very ancient connections to Italian witchcraft and magic. And we invited the uh, Fata, the fairy of the Italian uh, ways, into the fava beans, and then we gave the beans to the initiate so that they resonated, they were adopted into that stream. So they had the current connection energetically, tying them into the Italian resonance, even though it wasn't in their blood. But then that gets saturated, you know, you draw it in and energetically you make those connections. So 
Um, you can do that no matter what race you are. You can certainly interface with, with systems that aren't connected to your nationality. And, and with that being said, I, I, I do want to say something um, about um, multiple initiations because that is a hot button with Ash, Birch, <laughs> and Willow um, because there's only one stipulation in Ash, Birch, and Willow if you become an initiate or if you are considering becoming an initiate, and that is you do not initiate into another initiatory system. Like you would not initiate into a Gardnerian tradition with another group. You wouldn't initiate as an Alexandrian. You wouldn't initiate into fairy. In other words, you, would, you can go and you can learn. You could go to workshops on all of those uh, topics, but you would not initiate into another tradition which has a system which you are required to practice and train under. So um, that is something that we've had, a, 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 like I said, it's a real hot button. Right. And I myself, I've been initiated into a Celtic Irish Wiccan tradition, and I've been uh, initiated into the Strega tradition. I'm a third degree in both of those. Um, I bring that, that um, experience and knowledge with me into Ash, Birch, and Willow. It's not something that I disavow or that um, I jettison. As I just got done saying, the Italian is, very, is still very heartfelt for me. Um, so you can, you can have initiations prior to coming into Ash, Birch, and Willow, but we would, if you were going to initiate as an Ash, Birch, and Willow um, person, we would ask you to suspend, to suspend those practices, yes, because how could you be practicing multiple traditions while you're learning a brand new one? It, to me, that's not giving it the full benefit either to the tradition or for the initiate. So that is a requirement that uh, while you are in training as an initiate in Ash, Birch, and Willow, which I would say a minimum would take five years to become fully engrossed in that practice and the integration and understanding of it. Um, when you become an initiate, there's a nine-month period of training where uh, I think Raven mentioned we have knowledge lectures. Um, there's nine months of training sets which um, involve um, having exercises or what we call alignment um, to the current of Ash, Birch, and Willow, and then also knowledge lectures, which um, I'm not going to go into what they are, but they, they give you more information about different aspects of Ash, Birch, and Willow, and then also magical techniques and um, things that go along with that, too, are part of that. So I just had to say that. Well, I want to just clarify something so there's no misunderstanding. Did I say we, something? Well, we, we don't ask we don't ask our initiates to abandon anything that they right. had previously. So, for example, if, if someone had been involved with Ganesh, you know, they can still have a little Ganesh, you know, altar in their home. Or Hecate. Or Hecate or whoever, and still, you know, give offerings and, and have that communion. What we're saying is that Asperger and Willow, if you initiate into it, it's your primary path. And so your, your, your time should be spent, or the majority of your time should be spent with that, if you were to initiate into another tradition, there's there's two problems. One is that's a full commitment in, in and of itself, and so you're taking time away 
from what you had entered into as your primary path when you initiated as experts in Willow. So there's that competition of time, and so you aren't really honoring your primary tradition because you're also equally involved in initiation in another tradition. The other part of that is that the alignment may not be compatible. The work that you're doing with plant spirit and the ABW teachings and the alignment uh, to the greenwood that we're working with, their energy patterns. If you tie yourself into another system, a cultural system, you know, whatever it might be, Santeria or um, uh, Celtic witchcraft or whatever it might be, that's a different resonance. And so it may actually sort of create a tremor in the force where you're having to work harder at keeping your ABW alignments because another energy pattern is bleeding into that because you're jumping back and forth between two traditions. So what we say is go study with people. Like if you're interested in Santeria and you're an initiative ABW, go study Santeria. Talk with Santeria people. Do a, do a ceremony, you know, do whatever. But we're saying that what would not be compatible is then to say, well, I'm going to initiate into that system and dedicate myself to working with those, you know, and, and I'm going to do all the rituals and teachings. And our, our view would be, well, that's really taking away from your primary path. Um, so you're, you know, perhaps you should choose um, because where you're happiest is where you should be. But it's almost like coming home, say you're married to someone, and then you, that's your commitment, your primary commitment. And then your partner comes home and says, oh, you know, I, I found another uh, person that I really want to explore a relationship with. And uh, even though this is my primary relationship, I, I, you know, I'm going to spend time and go away for the week and hang out with them and you know, hope you're okay with that. A lot of people wouldn't be. Some would say, fine, depends on your agreement. Um, but the agreement in Ashford and Willow would be, you know, this is your primary relationship. Um, you know, you can do things with other people, but not in the context of, of the relationship, because the relationship yeah. is your initiatory work. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that. It's not about controlling people. It's really about being helpful to keep people in the resonance, in the alignment, so that this works for them. The more you tamper with it, the less effective it becomes. So we're just here to help you stay within the stream that you said you wanted to be in when you asked for initiation. Right, and, and it's our job as um, the keepers of the sacred. We aren't the sacred, but we certainly keep the sacred by um, fulfilling our duty as teachers and guides. And it's our duty to feed the initiates the information that they need for their spiritual exploration and evolution. So with that being said, let's go ahead and move on to uh, the other things we have there. Yeah, we've about. only got a few minutes. We're not we don't have a few minutes. Cover. We have 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's a few in Raven's the world. Is it glass half Raven's full or is the glass Raven's half Raven's world. Come on. See, you just wait. I think you're wasting. <laughs> 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 don't we sound like a married couple? <laughs> oh, we are. <laughs> All right. Okay, well. Uh, what I wanted to close with, she's asked me not to shuffle my, my papers with. I have a list on here. But I'm going to shuffle them anyway. Um, so, 
So I want to talk a little bit about the alignments. We touched on that a little bit. In Ashburst and Willow, we have a daily alignment that we encourage our initiates to, to work with because it keeps us in the vibration and keeps us within the stream of flowing to us from the Ashburst current, which we believe is very old and that energy energetic resonance of the ancestral view. Um, so we start the alignment out by saying, I am Pharmacute. That's a reminder to ourselves of how we connect and who we are. So by saying, I am Pharmacute, the spirit of the land remembers those ancient people that lived in common cause. So by speaking it out, nature almost says, I recognize you. The organic memory of the earth says, I remember you. So it puts us in alignment with this ancient current of common cause in the people that were witches of the past. Then we say, I am a thorn-blooded witch of the old ways. And that's recognizing that we have done the blood covenant between plant kind and human kind. So we're reminding the Greenwood realm that we are blood brothers and sisters. And then we say, I am descended from the stars, which is a reminder to ourselves that we are souls encased in physical matter. We are not these bodies. We are not this persona of our thoughts. We are souls that have descended from the stars. And then we say we are fated by the sun. And what that means is when we come down as souls into this material life, we pass through an astrological stamp. We take on our natal uh, sign. And so we are fated by the sun. We are given that uh, what would you call it? Uh, natal your, energy. Natal. Your, well, actually, it's 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 really your your pore. It's your it's the flame of your heart. Mm. Yeah, right. that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So faded by the sun, and then we say envisioned by envisioned by the moon. And what that means is in the occult, everything that's physical first begins in the astral or the moonlike realm. So our bodies were envisioned, and we were envisioned as beings in that body before we became the physical beings that we, we uh, started out in the womb. So we say we are envisioned by the moon, and that's our astral connection and our spiritual map. And then we say, and we are given form by the land, which recognizes that we are in material existence now, and that is our current status. And then we say, and I stand with feet rooted in shadow. Shadow is our word for the organic memory of the earth, Everything that has lived and died on this planet, its energy was absorbed into the soil. And within the soil are crystals. Crystals are the mineral formations. We know that crystals hold energy, transform energy. So the memory of everything that ever happened on this world is in the organic memory of the earth, in the crystalline formations of the earth. It's like the physical counterpart of the Akashic records. So we say, I stand with feet rooted in shadow, meaning I am connected to the memory. It's already there. I can draw upon it. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. But then we close with, and I reach upward towards the stars, meaning the goal is to return to the community of souls, to the place that we came from, back to our origins, each time returning with greater knowledge and wisdom, having had the physical life experience. If you think about it, the hardships in life that gave you strength, not the good times. So all the times you had to struggle made you stronger. It changed your, your vibration. 
but you had a choice. Did it make you sour or did it make you move on and uplift? And that is the choice. That is how spirituality helps us in all systems, including the astrological system, is using our spirituality and our connections to um, this realm in order to change our vibration intentionally to stand with feet rooted in shadow upon the earth, but always be mindful that we reach upward towards the stars. That's the uplifting. So we do that every day. We, we have a rose symbol that has five petals on it, so it kind of looks like a five-pointed star sort of on the rose itself. And we just trace that star. Um, hmm. Mike would like to know that uh, what happens if you're cremated? Are you still absorbed into the bones of the earth and shadow? And I would say yes, because... Your energy has definitely gone. The energy that was your life has definitely gone into the into the mm-hmm. air and therefore, you know, rains back into the soil. I mean, yes, you you still do. Um, I, I myself prefer cremation. And if, and if those ashes are scattered, then certainly even organically, you're returning to the earth. Right, and, you know, now they also have the green burials where mm-hmm. you're wrapped in biodegradable, you know, uh, material and put into the earth. There's several cemeteries now like that. Right. I digress. So go on. Right. No, so if, if great-grandma's on a, in an urn on your mantle, you haven't kept her from moving on. Right. Um, okay, so we have these petals, uh, and what we do is we just trace a five-pointed star as we touch upon all of these things. So our hand would go up and we would say, I am Pharmacute, a thorn-blooded witch of the old ways. And then we would draw the star. I am descended from the stars, fated by the sun, envisioned by the moon, given form by the land, and I stand with feet rooted in shadow and reach upward towards the stars. That's our daily alignment, and it keeps us in the current. We have another one, which is a daily alignment that people can do, and it's about the powers basically of the witch, the five powers that we teach uh, in Ashburton and Willow, we have a system in which we teach uh, what we call gathered thorns, the gathering of the teachings, um, to be herbalist, seer, spirit medium, mystic, and magician. These are the, the modules that we teach people and train them in. So we remind ourselves of our alignment to the powers of the witch. We do another um, alignment in which we say, uh, because it touches in on each of these uh, skills and points on the star. Mm -hmm. I am Pharmacute. I am the knower of plants, the seer of all that approaches, the hearer of the whispering dead. I am born of this world, but am not of this realm. And I wield the forces that move all tides and seasons. So that's just the connection to our, our place on this planet as being a witch and what it means to be a witch and how one lives their magic in this life. Um, then lastly, we have a personal empowerment, which you can do at times when you're looking for inner strength, um, looking to boost yourself up. Um, and in this one, we say, we envision ourselves, you know, the, the canopy of the trees is, is the gateway to the celestial realm. Um, so these branches form this, this gateway above us, and the roots connect us into shadow beneath us. And so what we say in this connection, when we want that strength, 
we say, I am Pharmacute, roots beneath, hear me, shadow below, know me, branches above, connect me, for in between I stand as a thorn-blooded witch of the ways. And so that connects us back to this whole concept of the empowerment of the land and the celestial realm and the trees. Um, This is the Greenwood magic. This is living the Greenwood magic and putting yourself spiritually in the center of that communication. And that's that's really what Ash Person World is all about. So I'm glad we've had some time to talk about it. Right. I'm 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 glad we've given I think we've given a really good overview of the Ash Virgin Willow tradition. And um, I just wanted to touch on again, as I said uh, at the half uh, halfway through the show, that we do have a course of study of Ash Virgin Willow. It's currently open for registration until uh, the end of this month. Uh, it's a nine month course. And every month you receive an attachment uh, lesson, attached lesson to an email. And then there is a private Facebook group where there is a discussion every month on a particular topic that focuses, focuses on the, the, lesson. the lesson that you receive that month. So um, you can go to ravensloft.biz, as I said earlier, too. And on the left-hand side, third button down from the top, it says Courses. And um, you can um, uh, go there, uh, and you'll find Ash Birch and Willow there. There's two ways to do it, either by credit card for the lessons, or you can uh, create a PayPal subscription. Any problems, you can always contact us about that. Um, We'd and, love to have you join us. The course is nine months long. Enrollment uh, does, does close, and so uh, it doesn't return for another nine months. So I just threw that in there if you really are interested in this um, you know jump on it now because it will close for nine months uh, beginning in June so you have to the end of May and uh, as we said earlier as well that this can lead to um, talking to us more about uh, becoming an initiative at Ash and Willow now I also wanted to mention um, as we close the show that uh, we are going to be doing uh, we haven't done this uh, publicly before, but we're going to because a dear friend of ours had requested it. We'll be doing an intensive Italian witchcraft uh, workshop at the Zen Trading Post in Staten Island on June the 3rd. I just posted the event on my Facebook page uh, with the information about registering for that. It's a little different than we normally do, but it's there if you're interested in it, Italian Intensive Workshop. Uh, go and check that out, June 3rd. And um, our next show is going to be uh, Seasons of the Witch, uh, episode on May 31st. Uh, and then also, we're, um, during the week, um, we have a fantastic uh, producer who has been um, really helping us out. And he is uh, setting up, and we are playing um, other um, types of broadcasts. Uh, there have been some interviews and some uh, YouTube videos, I think, the audio, of Raven talking about some of his books. So, uh, Seasons of the Witch isn't just Wednesday nights, everybody <laughs> bi-weekly Wednesday nights. It's also, uh, there's some other things going on as well. I haven't started posting that yet because I, I haven't been able to, to catch up with it all, but uh, be aware that that'll be helping. And also, we may be uh, posting or uh, putting up um, recorded shows for the week that we're off until uh, 
until we decide whether or not we can really uh, handle it every week, which right now isn't quite the case. But I'll be talking more about events that are coming up in uh, June and um, July and uh, look forward to having you join us again on the 31st of May. And um, with that, I would like to say uh, blessings of the Greenwood to everyone, and thank you so much for listening. Right, and as you walk through life, remember, reach upward towards the stars. Good night, everybody. Good night.